The crucible is for silver, and the furnace is for gold, and the Lord tests hearts. Proverbs 17.3. Hello, faithful fathers, and welcome to the Faithful Fatherhood Podcast. You probably recognize my voice by now, Brett Etheridge, but you might think that my voice sounds a little bit different. I am uh, I'm getting over a cold and I lost my voice this past weekend and it's almost back. But if I'm a little more reticent today on the show, if my voice sounds a little off, that's why. So, uh, But we will not be deterred. We are here and we are excited about the conversation we're going to have. If you listen to the last episode, Perry and I talked about gearing up for the summer our summer plans, strategies for the summer in general, how to maximize the time with our kids. And towards the end of that episode, he talked about this idea of having a, a summer project with your kids and even told the story of, of a friend of his who has done that successfully with his kids and it's actually turned into a vocation for them. And and so, okay, that was kind of interesting and, and I really liked that idea and we talked a little bit about it. And then we got to thinking, you know, let's actually talk to that guy. <laughs> and so and so that's what we're going to do. So Perry, welcome to the show. But Billy, welcome to the show. Billy Salyers and his son Jojo are guests on the show this week. Uh, so Billy and Jojo, how are you guys doing today? I'm uh, doing great. Thank you guys so much for having us. It's, a, it's an honor to be here with you guys. Very good, especially for this early in the morning. It's, it's awesome to be here. <laughs> well, we'll get into that. I'm curious to see if, if blacksmithing is an early morning vocation or not. So we'll, we'll get into all of that. Uh, I'm actually going to give my voice a rest right at the outset. So Perry, I'll, I'll turn it back over to you to maybe give a little bit more context and, uh, and we'll get this conversation started. Sure, absolutely. Stoked to be here today. Uh, Billy, Jojo, thanks for being here. We're pumped to have y'all on the show. It's going to be uh, fun times for sure. Uh, just a little intro to everybody on how, um, you know, we got to know Billy and Jojo and Yellow Rose Forge. Um, my son, my third born, Seth, has always kind of had this affinity towards blades and blacksmithing and bladesmithing and all that he's kind of had this desire and this interest kind of stirring within his heart for the last few years and so nancy and i decided this year that we wanted to go big and we bought seth a knife making class for his birthday this year uh, back in october and um we just kind of did some searching on the internet looked around found some you know what turned out to be in our backyard local uh, bladesmithing class through this company called Yellow Rose Forge. And we didn't really know anything about y'all or your business or whatever, but um, we just did a little bit of digging and it seemed like it would be a cool opportunity. And I think Nancy reached out to y'all and got everything lined up. And so she takes Seth out there on his birthday morning. It's like an eight hour all day long knife making class. And I think Seth was turning 11 if that's right, this year. I, I got four kids, and so excuse me if I don't remember all their ages exactly <laughs> at every time, but <laughs> I think he's 11. Um, but anyway, uh, so she, I mean, literally very shortly after getting out to y'all's shop, The Forge, uh, she messages me, and she's like, babe, you got to come out here and meet these guys. You'll love them. They're awesome. And so the class was kind of broken into two segments, a morning and then a lunch break where y'all went to or we all went to um, 
Strawberry Hill. So I I showed up at lunch and met everybody at lunch. We sat around the table, ate some big old greasy cheeseburgers and had a good time together at lunch and just got to know y'all a little bit. And then I went back to the shop uh, with Seth and I was kind of around for the afternoon. And so it was really cool. Um, got to meet Billy and Jojo. Jojo actually is the one who ran the class for Seth. So it was neat because Billy's son, Jojo, was doing a knife making class for my son, Seth. And um, I feel like, correct me if I'm wrong, but Jojo, was that the first time you led the knife making class? Is that right? Yes, that was my first class that I've ever taught. I think I've only taught one other since then as well. How old are you, Jojo? I'm 21. Okay, nice. Yeah, so it was kind of big time, I think, you know, for both of our sons uh and it was a cool really cool experience seth the first time he ever got to do any bladesmithing um and jojo you know the first time he got to actually teach the course obviously jojo's got a lot of experience in bladesmithing but teaching a course is kind of a whole new you know a whole new level but i have to say guys we have just been we were at the time we're so impressed with y'all love your mission love your business love who y'all are your hearts for the lord your hearts for knives swords sharp things like i've had this passion for knives since i was like five years old and so man it's just been great to know y'all get to experience that with y'all um so kudos for being awesome thanks for being here on the show um these guys are both forged in fire winners which is really cool and uh yeah it's just awesome to have you so welcome i hope that's a good kind of intro um to the beginning uh, of starting this show well i'm i'm going to interject already so i don't even know what forged in fire is what does it mean to be a forged in fire winner um so forged in fire is a a, a knife making competition uh, on the history channel uh, I, I believe it's still their most popular tv show right now and you take four um Four blacksmiths, bladesmiths, uh, and put them through three rounds of timed competition, um, eliminating one guy each round un until the last two have to create some historical uh, weapon. And then they test that for its uh, effectiveness, design, and aesthetics. And then they declare one of them the winner. Um, and so I won in 2017, and JoJo won uh, last year in 2022. 2021. They revealed it in 2022. Well, that's that's technically what it is, right? I mean, it doesn't count until they air it. Well, that's <laughs> um, so. Yeah, so we're currently the only father and son forged in fire champions. That's really cool. Uh, so you so you guys know what you're doing. The question is how you got to that point, and and I'm always curious when a father and son work together. Maybe you can take us back. Uh, Billy, to maybe your childhood, what was your relationship with your dad like? Was he present in your life teaching you things? Um, no, no, not at all. Um, my dad abandoned me and my mom when I was two years old. Man. Uh, so, <clears throat> yeah, I, uh, I lived most of my life uh, without my dad there. Um, I did have uh, a, a stepdad-ish kind of guy. Um, I called him Pop. Uh, he, he lived at the house with us for about eight years. Um but the him and my mom never did get married. <clears throat> and that was kind of a touch and go thing. Um, I, I don't ever question the fact that, you know, whether or not he loved me, um, but he didn't show it very well. He was a, kind of an abusive drunk at times, um, uh, a lot of the times. Um, and so, yeah, I uh, didn't really have much of a father figure in my home 
Uh, I did have a great relationship with my grandfather, but, um, you know, I, he obviously, I, I didn't get to see him as much uh, as I would like to have, especially looking back now. Uh, lived with him for a year or so uh, with my mom after my dad left. Um, but then uh, after about four years old, it was just kind of me and my mom for the most part. Well, I'm, I'm curious. Uh, obviously, I I hate that that was your experience, although sometimes the things that happen to us forge us, so to speak. And I'm curious about that process. How did you form a conception then of what a man should be and what a father should be? Tell us a little bit about your family as well. You have Jojo. How many kids do you have? And as you were growing up, how did you get an image in your mind of what what you might want to be as a father if you didn't have anybody modeling that for you? That, that's a great question. Um, I got three kids. Um, I'm super proud of all of them. I've, uh, Jojo is my youngest. Uh, he's my missionary bladesmith. Um, my oldest son is Isaac, uh, who is a second lieutenant in the United States Marine Corps. Super proud of him as well. Uh, and then my oldest is my daughter, Charity, uh, who uh, is a chiropractor. <clears throat> um, so, you know, three kids uh, and I get, a, a, you know, a medical professional, a Marine and a missionary. You know, how do you go wrong there, right? That's awesome. <clears throat> but, um, yeah, it was, you know, we all make vows. Uh, in our lives, whether we're we're aware of making them or not because of the things that happen to us. And so we make commitments. And so one of the ones that I made was simply that I'm not going to be the kind of dads that I had. Um, you know, I, my, my, he, he was, he was gone. So, you know, I, one of the first things that I made a commitment to was that I'm always going to be there. Um, and then, you know, I, I didn't want to be the kind of, of figure that my stepdad was. Um, and certainly, I, I, you know, we all have our struggles. I'm, I'm definitely not perfect as the father realm goes. Um, but I look to other people, uh, specifically my grandfather, um, who to date, uh, even even when I start reading scriptures and look at, you know, I, a lot of people would really question me on this because, you know, I'd say my grandfather's the greatest Christian I've ever, ever even heard of. And they'd say, well, what about the Apostle Paul? And I go, well, I've never met him. So I'm <laughs> going to give it to you all. Um, but yeah, Papa was just an incredible man. And I don't ever remember a conversation with him. For one, I, I don't know that I ever remember hearing him use my name in conversation. He always called me son, uh, even though it was his grandson. And I don't ever remember having a conversation with him that at some point in that conversation, he didn't use the phrase, serve the Lord. Hmm. Um, and that was just his message for me for life. Um, and then there was a, there was this guy who, gosh, he died when I was like 15 or 16 years old, but his name was Keith Duncan. Um, and, and people in my area would probably still know that name, but Keith, uh, Keith had four sons. They were all friends of mine. Um, <clears throat> And he was just this mild-mannered, quiet plumber. Um, but he was just this incredible father, incredible husband. Um, and the times that I went over there uh, to his home, even if he was correcting me for something, all he had to do was just speak a word. And, and his presence demanded such respect and admiration that that he just felt like a father figure to me in that regard. And, and when he died uh, at like 16 in a, in a tiny little town where I live, um, over 3000 people came to this guy's funeral and he attended a church of like 250. Wow. Um, wow. and that just showed me, you know, okay, what, what kind of impact can you know, a plumber have for the kingdom? Um, so yeah, and I, I kind of modeled, okay, I've, I've seen a couple of good examples. Um, 
and then for for the most part, beyond that is just you know trying to okay read and study my Bible, understand what the Scripture says, and very much trying to figure it out. Because as far as in my home, I, I never had anybody to tell me how to be a good dad or to show me how to be a good dad. So, and I think a lot of guys probably have that same problem. Is okay, I want to be a good dad. How do I do it? Um, so I just, you know, I, I really just kind of looked at the couple of examples that I had, looked at the bad examples that I had and tried not to do those things. And then just really tried to saturate everything in prayer because I figured, okay, if I point my kids to Christ, I really can't go wrong with that. And that's kind of been the goal of everything I've done, at least tried to do as being a dad. Yeah, man, that's beautiful. You know, identify what you don't want to be, identify what you do want to be bathe it in prayer, seek the Lord's help. And the underlying theme is point my kids to Jesus, point my kids to Christ, point my kids to Christ. That's beautiful. Beautiful. That's a very, um, very powerful approach and very inspiring, you know, to me, even to just hone it down to that one line, point my kids to Christ. That's what I'm going to, that's what I want. That's what I want to do today. That's my mission as a dad today. Point my kids to the Lord. It's awesome, brother. I love it. That's beautiful. So as you are kind of formulating this thought of what does it mean to be a man? How am I going to be a dad? Your kids are growing up through the years. Um, I mean, what you were a teacher as a profession. Was summertime always like focused on like a lot more attention to the kids? Because that balance of, you know, work, life, you know, work, fatherhood, Etc. Obviously, changes for you as a. I assume it does. You weren't teaching summer school or anything like that. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. No. Summers were always free. Was it always focused on the kids, like heavy in the summer, or was it like, how did that evolve? You know, the summer project concept. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, you know, I I don't really remember what summers were like before the summer projects. Uh, I, I think I think we probably started those as soon as I became a teacher. Okay. Um, you know, one of one of the things um, a lot of people don't know is that I've been in in ministry in some form for like twenty, going on twenty eight years now, um, and so you know, I've been a pastor, church planner, all those things, and um, at, at one point, just kind of decided that I liked being in ministry a lot more when I wasn't relying on it for my paycheck. <clears throat> you know, that wasn't what I was in it for, um, and so that's kind of when I went back to school to to get the degree in teaching because I loved teaching, um, and that fruit me up to just do ministry because it's what I was supposed to be doing, not because it was what I was getting paid to be doing. Um, not that there's anything wrong with, you know, guys who do it for a living, um, but it's, you know, the, the the care for those guys is a, you know, that's a benefit to them, not, not in my opinion, the reason why we do that kind of stuff. Um, and so, yeah, it, it was, um, we, we struggled a lot financially early on. <clears throat> um, you know, I worked four jobs at any given time, uh, just trying to make ends meet. Um, you know, and to date, I, you know, I still work two or three just because I'm I'm used to that level of busyness. Um, so I, you know, I still teach a night class or two here at night. I, I serve at my church, um, and, and then of course, you know, we're the we're full time as uh, bladesmiths now. Um, so it was really about making sure that when my kids were at home, I wanted to be intentional because, like I said, my my dad just wasn't there. Yeah. Um, and and I think one of the most important things we can do is just be there for our kids. Um, certainly, I've made plenty of mistakes um, and still do. 
uh, and, and kind of screw up in the way that I handle my kids' hearts sometimes. Um, but I wanted them to grow up and, and never look back and question, was my dad there enough? Did my dad love me? Did my dad have the best interest in mind? Um, did my dad point me to Christ? And so, yeah, the, the summer project thing was just kind of born out of the idea of <clears throat> how can I how can I make sure that my kids look back and know that dad was there and will, as long as he's alive, always be there for them? Um, and, and so that's kind of how we get started in that. And, and the side benefit of that was that, you know, we could do things rather than sitting around the house. I mean, because we also my kids were growing up as we kind of transitioned into that generation that literally never sees the sunshine, mm-hmm. um, but, but constantly <laughs> stares through a screen. Yeah. Um, how can I teach my kids how to do things that will benefit them later in life? You know, if if you have a you know a problem that needs fixed on your car or something that needs to be done in your house, do you have to call somebody to fix it, or is if it's a minor thing, can you do it yourself? So how can I impart some real world skills so that the kids can you know maybe not struggle as much financially as we did early on um, by knowing how to do some things for themselves? And that's kind of where that idea was born. Um, so it kind of kind of had a couple of practical purposes alongside the spiritual ones. Jojo, I want to learn more about these summer projects from your perspective. When when did you sort of become aware that this is what you guys did in the summer? And what are some of the summer projects that that you remember doing with your dad growing up? So I'm trying to think of a specific age that I remember actually starting them is kind of it kind of goes back as far as I can remember. I'll I'll say like 12 as a good example cuz I can think of five notable ones. Mm-hmm. Tell so, us about them. So the very first one we did was we made a sailboat. So we took like a bunch of wood and then the part that I remember most about it was the fiberglass because fiberglass <laughs> is the worst. It gets itchy and it just sucks. But we put all the fiberglass and all that stuff on it. We sealed it. We painted it. And we actually had a sail and everything. And we actually took it out on the lake and we got to sail it. It worked. It was a functional sailboat. And so that was kind of the beginning of like, okay, this is kind of the scale or the things that we want to do with these summer projects is things that, sure, it would have been cool to have made a model boat, but what, what good is it to make a boat that doesn't work? So now, now when he says scale, let's keep in mind, this was an eight foot long sailboat. <laughs> you know, it, was yeah. not, it was not a big or expensive project. It was, you know, really, really small, really simple. And thankfully the kids were all little enough that I could fit them all three in it at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm going to, I'm going to interject real quick. I want to hear about the other projects as well, because I just love this idea, but how, how did you guys learn how to do it? What I'm curious about, thinking about this through the father lens and imagining myself trying to build a sailboat with my own kids, I know nothing. And when you were 12, this was sort of before the YouTube boom, right? I mean, like, were you Googling YouTube videos on how to build a sailboat? Or do you, Billy, just already have all this knowledge and you only pick projects that you actually knew how to do? Or was this feel this feeling it out sort of process where, hey, let's learn together and let me show you that dad doesn't know everything. Let's learn together. Let's grow together. What was that dynamic like? Um, it's a little bit of all of that. Um, you know, because I've, I've, gosh, you know, 
before I settled into where I'm at now, I probably worked 30 or 40 different jobs over the course of my lifetime from the time I was 15. Uh, I've got a lot of experience in a lot of different areas. Um, you know, I, I, you know, a lot of people say jack of all trades. I, I don't like that phrase because it, it suggests jack of all trades, master of none. Yeah. Though that's absolutely <laughs> true. Um, I prefer the term renaissance man. Um, <clears throat> but the truth is, is that, um, yeah, I didn't know anything about most of the projects that we did. I was very much flying by the seat of my pants and learning with the kids. Um, yeah. and so, <clears throat> uh, for, for the sailboat, um, it was, it was a puddle duck was the name of the boat. And so there's actually a website for the guy who are, you know originated the design, um, gave you drawings, plans, guides on how to put the thing together. Um, and so it was just a simple matter of, of downloading it, printing out the sheet um, and then basic hand tools. I mean, that's really what I was teaching the kids there was how to use a hammer, how to use a drill, um, how to use a circular saw. Um, so that if you needed to make something, you could. Yeah. Um, and while I was comfortable with those things, a lot of the other stuff I didn't know how to do. So, um, you know, we started like, you know, one of the kids would, 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 you know, help measure things, you know, how to use a, a square and a pencil to draw out the lines. And then I'd do the dangerous stuff with the cutting, but eventually, you know, I'd get them in there. Okay. Now you see me cutting this. So now you're going to come over here. You're going to put your hand on the saw with me. You're going to cut it with me. And then eventually I'd let them, you know, cut a couple of things as well. Obviously with, uh, you know, a, a 10 or 11 year old kid uh, being really careful to supervise them and em always emphasizing safety, glasses, gloves, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, a lot of it was was flying by the seat of my pants um, and figuring it out, but kind of basing it in things that if I didn't have a general understanding of things that I knew that, that I could grow in or that I at least had the ability to grasp. Um, and so, and that, that held true to the other projects that we did as well. Um, I don't think any of the things that we did, I had ever really done that specific task before. Um, so you want to tell them about some of the other ones, Jojo? So I think our second project you can actually see here behind us is we've got this arcade cabinet here, which has come be kind of like, there's a lot of things just sitting on top of it. So it's got the multi-tiered rows where all of our electronics sit and all of our um, ah discs and things like that up top. That was a hard word for some reason. Well, for somebody <laughs> in your generation, the word disc doesn't really mean much. That is That's true. right. That's right. <laughs> That's where yeah. we store all of our digital MP3s. <laughs> oh, wait, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't work. So... But when it doesn't have all that stuff set on top of it and we get a new video card for it, it's actually a functional arcade cabinet. So we can actually like play games. We have there's like a couple thousand games and stuff like that on there. So I think that was the second one that we did. The third one that we did was an aluminum foundry. So that way we could just turn it on, melt down cans. We made these um just aluminum ingots. I don't remember why we chose to do that. I think we just did. Yeah, we saw it on King of Random on YouTube and just ran with it. Yeah. Yeah. And then after that was the 3D printer, which we used to make combat robots. And then the same summer as combat robots, we had like a month left. And that's when blacksmithing started was we took that little aluminum founder we had made the summer before and we used it as a forge to make our own knives and the world's sharpest spoon. <laughs> <laughs>
So to easily eat frozen ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> Funny story about that spoon. Oh, no. <laughs> Joe, we had, we were we were making these knives. Jojo ends up making this spoon. And of course, you know, a lot of times when you're forging something out, you have to grind it to shape uh, if if there's anything off. And so Joseph uh, takes his belt sander because we didn't really have a functional grinder at the time, sands the spoon smooth around the edges. And then to make sure that the spoon is the right size, goes ahead and pops it in his mouth. Oh, not realizing that it's hot. hot. Not a fun <laughs> lesson to learn, I promise you. But you only have to learn it once. Yes. Oh, man. <laughs> that summer, Woo. I learned about friction. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Most of us scald our mouths with like hot pizza fresh out of the oven and you're like eating forged spoons. Good for you. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So that summer, it was like an afterthought. It was like, well, we got some time left over, so let's learn how to make knives. That yeah. That's exactly That's, what it was. That's kind of wild to think about, you know, like, and here you are now. Forged and Fire Champions, Bladesmiths as a, uh, you know, profession. You teach other people how to make knives, like, you know, all that stuff. And it was, uh, it it kind of all started with an extra month. Oh, well, we got done early. We can't just sit around idle. Let's, let's do something, you know. Did y'all have, did y'all, did you grow up with like a passion for knives? Either one of y'all? No, no, no. Um, I, I had a knife collection when I was a kid. Um you know, I think every kid has a knife collection, uh, or every kid should have a knife collection. Yeah, we um, have one because I, I make them for a living. Yeah, I say that absolutely as the guy who makes the knives as well. Every yeah. kid should have a Yellow Rose Forge knife collection. Yeah, <laughs> um, but um, no, I had a bunch of knives that I'd pick up, you know, for a buck or, or less than a buck at flea markets when because my parents went to flea markets, um, um, and so you know I'd pick those up and then I'd inevitably take them home, throw them at trees, break them, lose them. Whatever. Um, but yeah, there, there really wasn't a passion for blades um, or, or, or anything like that growing up. It really just came down to, um, you know, when my grandfather passed away, I inherited his equipment, his tools. And so I had an anvil, I had his hammers, um, and I had uh, his vice. And because we had done the aluminum foundry that we'd seen on YouTube a year or two before, we essentially had the makings of a forge already built. So it okay. was, okay, what can we do that we already have everything that we need to try it? Um, and so, you know, making a knife out of a piece of rebar seemed like a great idea at the time. And, and they were the ugliest, worst knives you've ever seen. But it, it unlike all the other projects, which were fun, something about this one stuck. Um, you know, once summer was over, the, the boys were still saying, hey, Dad, can, can we go forge? And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, when, when, how often do you get the opportunity for your kids to say, Hey, can we go outside and do something? Um, and so when they started asking that, um, yeah, how could I say no? And then of course I'm, I'm a bit of an OCD guy myself. So I started having fun with it, learning more about it and it just kind of snowballed from there. Sure. Yeah. Well, that's a great thing. And I want to make sure that we kind of put a spotlight on that statement that you said just then we looked around at what we already had available and said, what can we do with the resources that we have? And I think that's a great message for the listeners to hear, for the dads to hear, you know, what can you do this summer with what you already have access to? Maybe it's, you know, grandpa's tools. Maybe it's 
um, you know, electronics, maybe it's a digital printer, maybe it's, you know, whatever. Um, but I, I think that's a great message for all of us really to hear, but, you know, I really want to flesh that out for the listeners to make sure that that didn't kind of just sneak by real quick and us not really highlight it, but you know, what, what can you do with what you already have on hand? How can you make the best use of that? And truth be told, all of these projects were like that. Um, you know, even down to the first one with a sailboat. I had a set of cordless tools, you know, I, I had a, had a, a circular saw and, I, you know, the hammer and, and, a, you know, that, that's really all we needed to build a sailboat. Um, you know, we bought the cheapest quarter inch plywood we could find, spent maybe a couple hundred bucks for the whole summer. Um, you know, we, the mast for the sailboat was an aluminum flagpole from Harbor Freight. Uh, the sail was a white tarp. Uh, that we then stitched, we cut it and stitched it to make it the right shape for a sale. So none of these projects were super expensive. Uh, we tried to keep them as cheap as we possibly could because it wasn't about the project. You know, it was, um, you know, okay, what can we do with the stuff that we already have to learn something new? You know, the, the arcade cabinets, just, I think maybe two sheets of MDF, which at the time were like 25 bucks a sheet. Um, and then all the hardware and the electronics and stuff, you can just buy that as a kit. So again, a couple hundred bucks for the whole summer to spend with the kids. Um, the foundry was just a metal bucket, sand, and plaster of Paris. Uh, you know, the 3D printer, our local library had a 3D printer. So that gave us an excuse to go to the library. And we used the library's 3D printer to 3D print the parts to build our 3D printer. <laughs> you know, and it was it was using the resources that we could find. Um, yeah, so it, it wasn't really okay. We've got a, a you know a, a crap ton of extra money floating around. Let's just spend it on something cool. It was okay. How do we how do we do something that will let us spend time together without breaking the bank? That's great. Now, did your kids have buy in like immediately? I mean, was the first project like such a like? How did were you like, Hey, we're going to build a sailboat. And they're all like, yeah, we love sailboats. Yeah. We love building stuff. Or did you, I mean, did you kind of have to like use some skills of persuasion to get them stoked about this idea or what? It varied from project to project. Okay. Um, okay. For, for the sailboat, they were, they were generally, you know, having a lot of fun with that. Um, my daughter kind of, uh, she, she embraced the painting uh, of the sailboat and, and she really wanted to help stitching with the sails. So that was kind of where, where her heart lay. Um, the boys, of course, they wanted to use the saws and the hammers and the stuff. So, so that was where they went. Um, I don't think anybody enjoyed the fiberglass, uh, <laughs> fiberglass, not <laughs> fiberglass. Um, but then it, it kind of varied from project to project. Um, oddly, the one that I thought was just going to be the biggest hit ever was the combat robots. Um, and that was the one that I struggled with, with their involvement the most. And I, I think it was because the level of technical challenge in putting all that stuff together was really difficult. Um, and so for, for that one, maybe we kind of bit off more than we could chew as far as the construction process. But then once we got to the fighting them uh, and actually taking them to some local competitions, which I didn't even know were around until we started, um, then the kids were all about that because then they got to go, you know, radio control combat robots in an arena fighting other robots. They're, Nice. And yeah, they, they actually came in like third place too. Which cool. cool. And then we never competed again. Like the, the robots are out in the, the blacksmith shop now doing nothing. So yeah, it just, it kind of varied from project to project. Um, what, what the kids wanted to do. Um, but yeah, they were always, 
there was always enough buy-in that, that again, it, it helped us spend time together, which, which I think was really the goal. Yeah. yeah. But I imagine there were some lessons learned. So Jojo, you're 21 now and doing blacksmithing as a career. But as you look back, what are two or three of the biggest lessons learned or what do you what do you remember most about those summer projects that have helped shape who you are today? Hmm. That's a good question. One of the things that I definitely learned during the time was to just stick with something. Um there were a lot of the times in the summer projects where I'm going to be completely honest, I was a lazy kid and I wasn't really good at using hand tools or things like that. And so it wasn't until the year after we started bladesmithing, because even making the spoons and things like that, I was horrible. You know, I couldn't hit the same <laughs> spot twice. And my brother was a lot better at all of this hands on work than I was. But then the year after that, we actually built the shop in our backyard, and that was just me and Dad. And that allowed us to get a lot of one-on-one -on -one time where Dad was able to go more in-depth of, hey, here's how you do this. Here's some techniques to do this better. And then actually learning how to do it better from getting that growth from, okay, here I was, and I'm actually able to do these things in a better, more efficient way that actually got me more excited about it than I had been before. Because rather than just going, man, I suck. I'm no good at this. There was that little bit of growth really got me a lot more interested in doing it. So That, that was actually our last summer project too. Yeah. Um, Cause the other kids had moved away, gone off to college. Uh, so it was just me and Jojo. And by then blacksmithing had taken off that we outgrew the garage. Uh, and so we built a shop. Um, and I, you know, at that point I did get to take some things that I knew how to do uh, and got to teach Jojo framing uh, and electrical and, and essentially taught him how to build a house, um, uh, which was a, a lot of fun. And now, you know, that's the shop that we work in every single day. Mm -hmm. So now summer projects are, are, you know, I guess, you know, they, they kind of have, have ended, but now we, we do all the mission work um, yep. together. Yeah, that's really cool. Let's talk a little bit more about the vocation piece. It sounds almost like you've backed into your current career, Jojo, and even you, Billy, through a little bit of trial and error. Try this, try that, see what fits, see what resonates. And you said this one just sort of felt different. But I'm curious for you, Jojo, how how much did you think about vocation growing up as a 13-year-old boy, 14-year-old boy? What's going through your mind? Are you thinking about what I want to be when I grow up? Like I remember, you know, in middle school saying, I want to be a Supreme Court justice and I want to be an astronaut. And we sort of we sort of just throw these things out there, however we get these ideas in our mind. And then you get to a point where it's like, okay, but practically, what do I want to do with my life? What what was that sort of evolution like for you growing up, thinking about what you want to do when you grow up? Yeah. So in all honesty, ever since I was five years old, I knew exactly what I wanted to do for a living. So we were five years old, and one summer we were watching Shark Week, and this documentary about sharks came on, and I was like, that is the coolest thing ever. I want to go study sharks for a living. Okay. And ever since I was five, that was my goal. And even going up through high school. Oh, wait, wait. Like, you, you, can't, you can't go there yet. Sharky? 
Jojo oh, on YouTube. You got to look up Sharky Jojo <laughs> on YouTube because <laughs> there there are some videos that we did together. The cutest thing you've ever seen in your life. Sweet. Uh, shark bites with Sharky Jojo. Okay, that's it's, awesome. Oh, sorry to anyway, <laughs> get that out of here. <laughs> so, but um. So, yeah, and even going through high school and things like that, I was actually doing research into it of like, okay, you don't start off making a lot of pay, but here's the things that you have to do. Here's the schools that offer training for things like this. Here's how I can get into it. And I even remember a conversation like the Navy recruiter came up to me. was like, hey, you know, what are you going to do after college? I was like, oh, I'm going to be a marine biologist. He's like, do you actually know what that means? I was like, yeah, I do. He's like, do you know how much they get paid? I was like, yeah, like $36,000 a year starting off. And he's like, oh, okay, good luck. And just walked away because I had actually done my research and looking into it. And I had a couple of ideas about it. But I really, that really changed when I ended up going off to missions to go live in Guatemala for nine months. And that was just, God completely changed my perspective on life while I was down there and having done that my passion to serve the Lord now outweighed my desire to study sharks and so it was like okay now this is what I want to do with my life yeah and so I knew that I had to make a living doing it somehow. And I had the opportunity to go to a couple of missions organizations. And then one day dad calls me, he's like, Hey, you know, I just feel led to do this, to offer you this is I want to offer you a job to come work with me. And so I'm thinking about it, It's like, okay, I'm going to fast and pray over it and I'm going to think about it. And I'm just going to see what I want to do. And I love the idea of going and living on missions. The hardest part I have with that is asking people for money. Is I don't like that idea. I would prefer to work for it and to earn it that way and to still go do missions. And that's just something that was on my heart at the time. And so I'm fasting and praying over it. It's like, okay, you know. I love this idea and I just want to be sure that this is like, this is what the Lord wants me to do rather than just me wanting to go home and hang out with my dad, you know? And then just over that week, like I just couldn't get away from this idea of like, I'm going to get to go home and I'm going to do missions while also earning my way to do missions. Like this is kind of what I want to do. I just felt like that was where God was leading me. And so now I'm, you know, I'm here with dad. And so until God ends up telling me to go somewhere else, this is where I'm going to be. Coolest phone call I've ever got. Um, when I had asked Jojo to, uh, to pray about that, because I, I knew he had opportunities to go other places and serve in other ways, but I, I just couldn't get it off my heart. And I even told my wife, I'm like, babe, I don't want to sideline or sidetrack anything that God's got in store for him, but I will regret it for the rest of my life if I don't offer him a job. Um, and, and I wasn't really sure that I could afford to pay him, honestly. Um, and and so, but I did. And he, he his response was, let me fast and pray about it. Uh, and then a week later, when we were able to talk to him again, because we only got to talk about once a week while he was in Guatemala, um, he said, Dad, I got a question about that job. And I'm like, okay, what, what's your question? He goes, when do I start? Uh, <laughs> and it was just, 
is the coolest thing ever. Um, and Jojo's super humble about this, but the fact that he took a step in faith as a 17 year old young man to make a decision to go live in Guatemala and sideline for a year, the career he had wanted since he was five years old um, to go serve. And then while he's there, let God change his heart to the point where he, he literally gave up his life's dream to, to just say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to serve God with my life. That really facilitated and helped to start the ministry that we're doing now because the first time we really did anything as Redeemed Steel was when we went to Guatemala to visit Joseph, helped him in the work that he was doing there, and then stayed an extra week with a Guatemalan family that we had met when they visited the States and went and did ministry with them separate from Joseph. Um, and that's really where we did the first what we call Redeem Steel presentation, where we we share the gospel by through the process of making a knife and things. Um, and to date, because of what started there, you know, we've built six houses for homeless families in Guatemala. We've we've built a ch- helped build a church. Um, we fed a village of 500 people for two weeks last year, gave them 3000 pounds of food. And we're now in the process of building a trade school in Guatemala for orphans um, who are aging out of the orphanage with no life skills. And after we finish that one, we've got another five or six countries lined up wanting us to come build. And Joseph will take no credit for that. And and I know that God deserves all the credit, but his step of faith to, to, to step away from shark scientists and say, okay, I'm going to do missionary for a year is really what facilitated that and really kind of took what what started as a, a project, became a job, and turned it into a full-time ministry. Redeemed Seal, S-E-A-L? Uh, S-T-E-E-L. Oh, Redeemed, so Redeemed Steel, Steel. Which, makes, which makes more sense. Perfect. Okay, Redeemed Steel. <laughs> Redeemed Seal would be great Red- if I kept with the marine biology. Exactly. That's, <laughs> that, 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 that's our next goal. Marine biology ministry, Redeemed Seal. I was, <laughs> I was trying to figure out how that fit. That's awesome. <laughs> so it sounds like one passion, though, was replaced by another passion for you, Jojo. And maybe, Billy, you could speak to this as well. I feel like society tells kids to follow your passion. You have to be passionate about what you do. And yet, and maybe I'll just ask you this, Jojo, would you say you're passionate about forging? Absolutely. I okay. would totally because I think something sometimes is there a place though for doing something that serves another purpose that you're more passionate about? Like I, to me, it would be totally fine if if you forge to make enough money to then fuel your passion of ministry. Does that make sense? So what, like, what's that balancing act? What should we be steering our kids to? I guess is the larger question that I'm filtering as I have a 13 and 11 year old boy and trying to help them figure out what they want to do in their lives is passion for what they do more important is serving the Lord. The most important is being happy. Important. Like what, what should our kids be thinking about and what should we as fathers be helping them to think about as they're making these decisions? Man, that's a big question to answer as a guy who's not a father. So, but (laughs) my, my best response to that would be to encourage your kids to seek the Lord, but to also not stifle their passions either, because it's quite possible that the thing that they're passionate about is something that the Lord has put on their heart. 
And so, you know, take them on these adventures, take them on things that they may not like. I mean, I didn't like bladesmithing at first. And if my dad hadn't been there to be like, hey, just try it, come out with me, try these things, you might end up enjoying it. Then through that process of invitation and that initiation by their fathers, they may become more interested in something that they would have never known that they loved until you brought them into it. And if there's something that they already love, you know, don't be afraid of if it's something you don't know to step into that with them. Maybe your kids teach you something and you do some more research and help them grow in that, that the Lord will bless that, whether it's just building your relationship with your kids and maybe that's a part of his heart for them. Maybe that's where he wants them to go. And we get to be a part of that and guiding them towards God. And I think God will give them the passion of their heart. And and if I can just kind of add to that, um, I think with one of the things that I struggled with was, you know, like I said, I, I worked so many different jobs uh, and had so many different career options. And, and as, as you already mentioned, Perry, I, I was a teacher. Um, and this is kind of what made the free time during the summer an option. Uh, and we could have certainly just done it on the weekends if I worked a, a nine to five Monday through Friday. Um, but um, I loved being a teacher. I love being in the classroom. I love my students. My students love me. It, it wasn't that I was a bad teacher or anything like that. I, I feel like I was pretty good at it. Um, you know, the last the last year I was there, I was nominated for teacher of the year. Um, so uh, apparently someone else thought it too. Either that or they just ran out of candidates. Which is <laughs> totally possible. Um, but, you know, I tell people a lot of times I, I was blessed with the choice of two things that I loved. You know, had had I remained a teacher, I think God would have used me as a teacher in that field um, because I'd already seen God doing some things there. Um, but I chose bladesmithing and, and there's there's this whole story of how how I came to make that decision. Um, but I think that, um, at, at the end of the day, the biggest realization for me in, in all this and something I've tried to teach my kids is that your career, where you live, even down to something so important as like who you marry, um, it's not about finding the right job, finding the right place, finding the right spouse. It's about being the right person. Yeah. Um, you know, it, let's just use the spouse thing as an, as an example. Um, a lot of people spend their whole lives looking for Mr. or Mrs. Right. Um, and you're never going to find them because they don't exist. But if I'm committed or if my son is committed to being a godly man, to being the right kind of husband, and then finds a woman, which he has, who is committed to being the right kind of woman, then together they are going to be the right kind of couple. But if if you've got one person living in a true self and another living in a false self, that's never going to be as healthy as it could be. It's it's good that one of them is true, but if you can find two people who are walking for the Lord separately, they're going to walk with the Lord together. Um, and so I think that that holds true with careers and things like that. Um, you know, there are days that that knife making is not a passion. Some days it's just a job. Um, I, those are the days that I don't I don't like to talk about because you know they they happen. Sometimes more than they should, but not not as often as they might in other situations. Um, but yeah, some days it's just hard work, um, especially when we're you know under the gun trying to meet deadlines and things like that, uh, or things don't go the way that they should go. Some days are just tough. 
Uh, and some days even, you know, me and Jojo kind of bark and bite at each other like coworkers do. And that doesn't make it okay. That just makes it real. Yeah. Um, but, you know, at the same time, uh, it very much is knife making exists to fuel our ability to do ministry. But knife making is also our ministry. Um, you know, we've, we've shared the gospel with more people because they came to a class or because they bought a knife and we sent a card with the knife that shared the gospel or because they came to see us do a demonstration and give away a knife or something like that. So it's, I don't really separate the two. It's not that, that we have a vocation in a ministry. It's if I was a teacher, I'm going to find a way to, to interject my faith into my walk as a teacher. If I'm a shark scientist, I'm going to be the godliest shark scientist I can possibly be. I just happen to be a knife maker. Um, so in that case, how do I use knife making for the glory of God? Um, instead of trying to find the right path, just be the right man on the path that I'm on. Yeah, that's fantastic. And it <clears throat> it's a theme that we've talked about multiple times on the show with different guests. It's this as you go theme, you know, and, and the scripture talks about um, do ministry as you go, preach the gospel as you go. And I think there's certainly that element and y'all embody it so well. It's as you go. Yeah, I'm, we're bladesmiths now. And, and as we go, we're going to present the gospel through the process of a knife making class, you know, and then it's also an, as you go as a fathering process, you know what I mean? It's like, well, maybe, you know, listeners out there are thinking, well, I'm not a teacher. I don't have the whole summer off to hang out with my kids. You know, well, don't worry about that. You know, be the best father that you can be as you go. Right. So if you work a nine to five job, make sure that when you come home, you, you know, you take a minute to decompress from the workday, you leave all that at home and you show up fully for your kids, right? For the, from when you get home until when they go to bed. And when you got, get off work Friday, you show up the best that you can for your kids, you know, Saturday, Sunday. And it's this, as you go mentality for both things, it's for ministry, for the gospel. And it's also for being the best father that, that we can be you know, in the lives of our kids. And so I love that idea and and the idea of um, focus on who you need to be, you know, as much as like, which, oh, do I go this path or this path? Well, let's just focus on who I need to be. And then as the path unfolds, I'll walk down it, right? I, I think my oldest son, uh, Jojo's big brother, really exemplifies that. And my, my daughter as well. Um, and my oldest son's a Marine. Um, and, you know, as a parent, you know, anytime your, your kid talks about going into a dangerous field of work, there's always that worry. But um, Isaac felt that calling. And he's like, you know, not everybody can go into the places that I'm going to go and still be a godly Christian man. But I can't. You know, and that's 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 where he's at. Um, and he very much views the, the Marine Corps and the service to the men that he leads as service to the kingdom of God. Um, and what an awesome thing for, for a young man, you know, 23 years old to be able to, to, to look at the world through that lens, um, because not everybody has that gifting and that calling, but he is very uniquely created to fit into that specific world uh, and has found, you know, where God's placed him. You know, my daughter, uh, you know, being a medical professional, 
she she has a heart and a passion for healing and helping others, uh, which she got from my mom, who was the kind of lady who anytime there was a, a, an elderly person in our community who was sick, she was just right there in the middle of it, taking care of them, you know, with the washcloth on the forehead kind of person. Um, and so she's like, OK, this is how I serve. Um, I, I don't think, again, the career doesn't really matter. Uh, what matters is the heart for God that we use as we go into it and do it. Um, even to, to to go back to what you were saying, I don't think what you do with your kids matters so much. What, I mean, clearly, I mean, you see all the, the geeky stuff behind us. Sometimes just sitting down and playing a video game with your kids, um, you know, and just being with them. Like I said, the thing that I miss the most, and to this day, sometimes I still mourn it, um, was my dad just not being there. Yeah. yeah. Like, like I, I never expected him to be perfect. I would, I would have been so happy with an imperfect dad, but just to have, one. um, you know, I hope my kids one day get that, that I'm, you know, I'm certainly not perfect, but at least I'm there. Um, you know, to me, that matters a lot. It matters a lot. And I applaud you for that. I honor you for that. One of the things my dad told me when I was younger that has always stuck with me and I'll pass along that advice here as well is to keep as many doors open for as long as possible. And to me, that's what I hear sort of as a theme through what you have done with these summer projects. Our kids are in a period of exploration. They're trying to figure it out. And we want to keep as many doors open for them as possible and expose them to as many different things as we can. And so to me, that's what resonates with this idea of these summer projects is, hey, let's try this and let's try that and let's do this. And from the kid's perspective, it facilitates that exploratory process. It keeps doors open. But from a father's standpoint, it's you being present. It's you walking that journey with them. It's you engaging with your kids, even if it's just for a few hours on a weekend, if that's what a father has over the course of a summer. But it's that time spent together, which uh, I'm sure is a big part of what, what JoJo, you, and your other kids, Billy, look back on and will remember. It's, hey, we, we built this, we did that, but I also spent all of this time with my kids. And so you were there for them, and they'll be there for their own kids, which is really cool. That's that legacy piece that we talk about as well. So I think I think this is a good place to uh, to sort of wrap this up. I my head's just spinning with lots of ideas. Have loved this conversation, Perry. Any thought, final thoughts from you or you, Billy or JoJo, before we call it a day? I think that it's been such a joyful conversation to just sit and laugh and and talk about the Lord and talk about fathering and and just hear a little bit about y'all's story and your journey and the process. So first off, I just want to honor you for being men of the Lord who say, hey, man, and as far as my house goes, we're going to serve the Lord. Jojo, to hear you say, you know, the response as a, as a, you know, young teenager to say, well, dad offered me a job. I'm going to fast and pray about it. Brother, that is wisdom beyond your years, man. That is really cool, you know, and we give God the glory for that, you know, but you're, you stepped out in, in faithfulness and, you know, you, to, to hear that your first reaction was, 
Uh, let me let me fast and pray. Let me see what the Lord has to say about that. Man, what an inspiration, you know? That's awesome. Like I'm sitting here and you're going, "Man, I that needs to be my response more often, you know?" <laughs> it's like much less like I want to instill that in my own children. I'm like looking at my own heart going, "Oh, man, I need to I need to up my game on uh on how I respond, you know?" So thanks for that inspiration because it it's a minister that ministers to my own heart, man, and and I've been following the Lord for a long time, you know? Um but yeah, just a joyful conversation. And uh it gets me excited, man. I like I wanna I wanna link up with y'all and see how well how can the Hughes family come alongside with the Salyers and how can we jump into the ministry that y'all are doing in Guatemala? Like I think of my own kids, you know, being, you know, you know, years behind your kids. You know, my oldest is 15, I got a 13, I got an 11, I got a just turned 10. And I'm like, man, I want to make sure that I'm I'm doing my part to expose my kids to ministries. And we we've always done our gymnastics business as a ministry, right? Like I don't care about cartwheels. I care about kids getting to see Jesus. And I I think that we do a good job of a modeling that and b explaining it to our kids, but I also want to like you said Brett, leave as many doors open as possible and start to expose them to you know, different, different elements of ministry, different elements of like, let's go to another country and build houses for people that don't have the means to build houses for themselves. And let's go to other countries and teach people skill sets that they can actually use to, to create a life path and, um, you know, a career for themselves. So I'm excited to, and I, I want to make sure to follow up with y'all about that. So, man, I just want to honor y'all for your hearts and, uh, say thanks for your time being here and tell you that I'm personally inspired and challenged by our conversation and i'm confident that the listeners are too so um yeah thanks for being here and uh thanks for your inspiration and maybe in closing tell us a couple things like one how can people find you on social media i mean we know we've got sharky jojo to look for um but you know are there other ways that people can reach out and find you guys we know yellow rose forge um is y'all's you know, website and things like that. But, you know, in closing two things, one, how can people find you? And two, what are y'all excited about this summer? You know, as uh, a father, son, like what, tell us something that you're excited about what's on the horizon. Yeah. So uh, the first they can, they can just go to um, any, any social media platform at yellow rose forge. Uh, we'll take them to our business or at redeemed steel. Um, we'll take them to, um, to our ministry. Um, and of course, yellowroseforge.com and redeemedsteel.com uh, to find out more about the ministry, the newsletter, the donations, and all that stuff that goes along with that. Um, uh, as far as this summer is concerned, we actually kind of have a father-son project coming up um, that, that we are really, really excited about. We actually met um, one of the best knife makers in the world last year, a guy by the name of Claudio Sabral. Uh, in Argentina. So in September, Jojo and I are traveling together to Argentina uh, to study with one of probably the the top three knife makers in the world to learn how to be better at at what we do by studying under him. So that's something that I'm really excited about is, is, you know, kind of getting to take a break from, from traveling exclusively for ministry or traveling for work, uh, but just actually go travel to learn again. Um, to try to say, okay, you know, how can somebody else pour their skills into us and what can we use to, to take that on? 
Uh, and then we've got another event uh, in July. You want to tell them about that one, Jojo? This one's local. So the event in July is what it's called. We call them a hammering. A lot of people don't really know what that is. So it's basically you get a bunch of bladesmiths together. And there's usually a competition. There's demonstrations of some sort. But for ours, we're going to have um, a knife show going along with it. So we're going to have people there showing off their crafts, knife makers, hopefully some T-shirt people, handle material, things like that. If you're into knife making, there'll be plenty of people there who know what they're doing and then will be there. Um, we're going to have a knife making competition, um, forged and fire style. So we're going to have a bunch of guys there. We're going to say, okay, here are your materials. Go make whatever you can in this time limit. And then we'll auction those off at the very end to support Redeem Steel. And so that'll be going on at the Tryon International Equestrian Center about 20 minutes from our place. And that's July 15th. So that's going to be the biggest we've ever had this event. There's a lot more logistics than there usually are because for the past four years, it's been in our backyard. So, you know, there's a lot of moving parts to this, but it's really exciting, you know, to see this grow from just something that we do in our backyard to now it's being sponsored by a place like the equestrian center that has million dollar events and they'll have the equestrian games and things like that so that's our that's our main big thing going on right now that's huge and timely i'll i'll see you there i'm gonna put that on my calendar my second son uh, has expressed an interest in in knives. And so I think taking him to that, meeting you guys in person would be really, really cool. So uh, I look forward to that later this summer. Thank you again for your time. Thank you to the listeners. We'll wrap up this episode, but be wet back with you again soon, as always, here on the Faithful Fatherhood Podcast. Take care and be blessed, everyone. Oh,